Welcome to Create Your Own Light, where we harness our past, we embrace our future, and learn to conquer the roadblocks along the way together. I'm your host, Travis Howes. Let's get on with it. This episode is brought to you by YourWelder.com. YourWelder.com is an online directory of mobile welders. Whether at your home or at your industrial processing plant, we come to you. Our community of mobile welders can repair anything from the neighbor's mailbox that you just backed into or the cat bulldozer sitting on your job site. YourWelder.com is a directory of highly skilled professionals willing to help you on your job site on your timetable. YourWelder.com screens all of their welders using tools like photos from social media apps such as Instagram, Parler, and Facebook, even face-to-face meetups. YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran-owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. Oh my goodness. So by the time you hear this, episode 31, I have just come back from a 10-day tour I I can't tell you how exhausted I am, but how much fun it was and what a wonderful experience it was. We're going to get into all of that. Um, I had, so before I left for the tour, I recorded five episodes. I was like, I got to make sure I get all of these episodes out because it's, it's, it's actually pretty difficult when you don't have guests. It's really difficult to come up with content to keep pumping out. And man, I was on a creative role there. So the last five episodes you listened to, I recorded those, I think, pretty much in the same week. And now that I'm back, this is episode 31. Thank you. Thank you everybody for being here. Um, I, while I was out on the road, I was getting tremendous feedback from the previous episodes that I recorded. And honestly, I was like, I was like, fuck man, I just want to get back and I want to record, but I was on the go so much. So we had, I had a 10 day tour where I went to Charlotte, North Carolina. I had to do a comedy event for local 660 and I believe it's 660 660 yeah for Charlotte fire department and then I had to go to South Bend Indiana where I was there for a few days and talking with South Bend firefighters then down south to Frankfurt Indiana fire department and then the big show in Indianapolis which was a comedy event and huge geez man I got some stories for you guys so I don't know today where we're at, we're actually going to go. I didn't sit down and think of a, of any kind of message for today. I was like, you know what? I'm going to let this kind of just come organically and naturally today. So I don't know where this is going, but I do know this. I really wanted to record yesterday, but I couldn't because I like recording when, when I'm really uh, in any, in a certain mood, like if I'm happy or if I'm sad or if I'm very jacked up from, um, adrenaline for, I shouldn't say adrenaline. I should say, um, when I'm not in a good headspace. for some reason, I found that that's a really good authentic way to record to get the message across. And yesterday would have been the day, but I couldn't because man, I had kids in my lap all day yesterday. And I think a lot of what I go through is guilt. Um, I actually know a lot of what I go through is guilt. And a lot of times I feel like, um, I feel guilty for, not being a better father than what I am. I put an overwhelming amount of pressure on myself to be a great father. And at the end of the day, I I think really all your children want is for you to just be present. And a lot of times that's really hard for me because I'm spread really thin. And 
I get I do get pulled in multiple directions and I do have a lot going on, but there's no excuse for me to not be present. And one of the things that hurts me is like if my kids notice I'm on my phone, whether it's business or not, most of the time it is business. I'm just trying to organize stuff and respond back to people. Um, because when people message me, like I, I've, I've said a lot of times, I get a lot of messages on this mental, mental wellness stuff. And some of them come out of left field and I'm not ready for them. And a lot of times I drop whatever it is that I'm doing and I devote myself to that. And ultimately the people that suffer for that is my family. And I feel bad for that. Um, like this morning, I got a message on LinkedIn and I was out there having my coffee and I looked at his message and I go, this is something I can get to later, but I'm not the kind of guy that gets to things later. I'm right fucking now. And I, that's how I handle everything in my life. It's right fucking now. It gets the utmost priority. And the problem with that is people, people suffer for that things that I can put off for later. And rather than just being in the moment, I'm not in the moment and I handle things that, that could wait. The other problem with that is I build a level of expectation for other people is based on how I am with people, right? When somebody needs something from me, I do it right then. I give it 139,000%. I, if you need, uh, this signed, if you need this document, whatever, my focus goes into that. And what I realize is I expect people to give that same attention in return and it just doesn't happen. So therefore, um, it causes a lot of a lot of problems on my end because I'm not a patient man when it comes like if I need something, I need it right fucking now. JG Wentworth, you ever seen that commercial? This is my money and I want it now. I'm like that because I give that. And when people don't give that in return, it's it's infuriating for me and it's frustrating for me because I'm I'm I just don't understand how anybody gets anything done in their world of business. But maybe they have it figured out. Maybe they have the balance figured out to where, hey, I get to this Travis guy later. Fuck him. I'm going to lunch. I can't do that. I forgot how hard it was to go out on a long tour. So when I was touring with stand-up comedy all the time, I got used to it. And now that I'm teaching courses to fire departments, police departments, and military all over, I don't go out like I used to. Normally, I fly in, I do my courses, and I fly back home. Or I drive there, I do my courses, and I drive back home. This time was different, man. Just logistically, it nothing worked out because uh, fire departments had me booked and they were pretty close together. So the flight in and rental car here thing, it just didn't work. And I had so many events to do and I had all the merchandise that I carry with me. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm packing the minivan and I made a road trip out of it. And it was, I cannot tell you how exhausting it was for me. I, I, I was like, whoa, I don't know if I can do this again. Um, I drug my friend out there with me for 10 days, sharing hotel rooms. And it got a little aggravating at times, uh, because when you spend so much time with one person in a confined space, you, you tend to get on each other's nerves. And that certainly happened. And now that I'm older, I'm 43, I don't have time for that bullshit. And when I get out there, that's my job. That's my focus. I have to dedicate everything I got into doing what I'm doing, even when I'm off work, right? My mission is get to this next location, do the best job that I can, be as well rested as I can be so I can be on fucking point whenever I speak or whenever I tell jokes. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't sleep for, for those 10 days worth of shit. I didn't sleep at all. And I'm not going to get into why, but there's a million reasons why I wasn't sleeping well. And 
sleep is so detrimental to what we do. All right. Long story short, I went to uh, my friend Dina Ali. She's a captain with the Raleigh Fire Department. She's a world-renowned speaker in the fire service. And I went to, when I was in Indianapolis, I went to one of her suicide awareness classes. And I learned so much about myself while she was teaching. I was like, holy shit, has she like been sitting in a corner in the dark watching my whole life? Because everything she's teaching is me. And, and she's so professional and teaches with like such grace. I was kind of envious. I was actually very envious because I'm the complete opposite. And I told her afterwards on a phone conversation, I was like, Dina, I, w- I love watching you. I love being a part of your class. Um, so if you ever have an opportunity to go uh, watch Dina instruct, I highly re- recommend that. But I told her, I'm like, I'm a fucking caveman when I teach. And she just laughed and she goes, well, it takes all kinds. And I was like, well, it certainly does. Cause I am every bit of a caveman. I'm, I'm not like that, but I, I lack in the grace department, but I make up for it in, in the reality department and the uh, realness and rawness of what I do. So, but it was nice to be able to see her teach. But what I learned, I guess I, I've always known how important sleep was, but when it comes to suicide, sleep is one of the number one factors sleep deprived people. And I don't have the statistics to go into that, but I did learn that and it just all made sense. So when I came home from this tour, I didn't have time to, to rest I came right back. I went to my farm for 20 seconds. I stopped in, checked on everything, got back in the car and came home. And then I was thrown into the whirlwind of family and I did not have time to decompress. So you, you fast forward three days. Now I'm on day 13 of very little sleep. Um, no time to decompress through all of the stuff that I experienced, the highs and lows, man, the highs and lows of what I do are tremendous. I'm not, I'm not playing pity party, but just trying to be honest. When I'm on top on that stage and I'm giving you everything I got, with, if I'm performing, it, it takes a lot out of you. And they always say that performers, they absorb the energy in the room. So, And, and that's true. I've, I've been out there and I've performed before where it felt like I just put in a 30-hour day. And I was only up there 45 minutes to an hour. And you absorb a lot of that energy. And you go back and you're just exhausted. And your body hurts. I've certainly experienced that many times throughout my career. And speaking, I found, and teaching is actually harder than me telling jokes and performing because the re- the the reality is every time I go up there I have to relive the worst mo- the worst times of my life and again I'm happy to do that because I know that it helps and I see I see what it does for other people so I'm happy to do that and I'm not complaining but what I didn't realize was doing it over and over consecutively for those days the toll that that was going to have on me so that was a learning experience for me I have to be more aware of that and I have to respect my body and my mind more like, Hey, look, maybe if you teach once, take a break for a day, teach twice, take a break for two days. I got to figure that out. But I wasn't doing that. I was joking. I was teaching. I was joking. I was teaching. And it, it really did take a toll like I've never experienced before. Um, so coming back home and this is what I think I get into with self care. I neglected myself. And I'm, I'm, my entire family is paying for it right now. And I'm not happy about that. I'm not fucking proud of that at all. I'm, I'm ashamed of it. But again, this is me being real and raw and, and, and transparent. So here's where we are today. 13 days of not taking care of myself has led me to a point where I was about to explode. And I took my children out to the farm the other day. My wife had to go back to school to start teaching, uh, just teachers only while they're in school. And so I have the kids. And it's no secret. It's hard for me to manage children, especially when they're not getting along. Now, 
when my kids, as, as they've gotten older, five and seven, they're a lot more easy to handle than they were when they were infants and toddlers screaming and all that. But now I have to deal with the constant bickering and the constant fighting. And when I'm not in the appropriate headspace to deal with that, it is, it, it's really, really tough. And it, it's kind of a snowball. Soon as they hit that, flip that switch inside of me, it's everything else starts snowballing out of control and I can't find any joy in anything. And, uh, I'm in, I'm in a shit mood and everything they do, everything they say, everything they touch affects me now. And that's where I start regretting, or I don't say regretting, start feeling guilty about being the father that I am because I know they, they only deserve the best parents. They never got to choose their parents and they deserve the best from us. And I can't use them as an excuse for me to be the way that I am. Sure, they do things that affect us. All kids do. Kids drive people crazy. But I know I have a special set of circumstances, and I know what I need to do. That would It's no different than if I had blood pressure medicine, right? I don't. But if I knew I had to take my blood pressure medicine or else I'd fucking die, I would take that medicine. Well, it's no different. I know I need to decompress. I know I need time alone, and I need time by myself. But I don't do it. Because I feel selfish. And I've talked about this before. It's hard to be selfish with your time like this. It's it's really, really difficult. Because, again, nobody can see the injuries that you've sustained when we go through post-traumatic stress. They only see the selfishness, right? So when I'm, hey, I really need time to get away. My wife has had these kids for seven fucking years and never had a break. Okay? Seven. So when I come home for 13 days and after a 13 day stint, I'm like, Hey, look, I kind of need to unplug and I need to just disappear for a while. You can see how that would look to her and it's not fucking fair. And I wish I wasn't the way that I am. I wish I could change all of this, but the truth is I cannot. The truth is I have to manage it. And the truth is the only way for me to appropriately manage it is to get extremely selfish with my time. And if I do not do that, I am no fucking good to anybody, not even myself. And then all the horrible thoughts start creeping in because the guilt has got you wrapped again and it's got a stranglehold on you. And it's like, look, that old feeling of, man, my family would be better off without me because I'm a monster. Those feelings start creeping back in. And then with those feelings, all those dark thoughts start coming in and you can't help it. And I learned something from my friend Dina Ali in her class about suicide that I never thought of. She said the suicidal thoughts, when they come on, they come on very rapidly, very intense, and then they subside. And that's true. I started thinking about that. And I was like, wait, anytime I've ever been in that mindset, it was never really for days on end. It was always a buildup to it. And then when it hit, it's so intense that it's fucking scary. You start, you start visualizing, you start really thinking about it. And then after a couple of hours or so, it usually subsides. And that's exactly what happened to me the other day. Look, I'm not immune to this stuff. I start, I think just like anybody else thinks. I have thoughts just like anybody else has. And it's, and I'm actually more prone to those thoughts than most people because of my life's experiences. But at the end of the day, I refuse to quit. I refuse to give up. And this is the result of not having self-care. This is the result of not being selfish. So when you, when it comes down to it and you have to think about it, put it in perspective, like, Hey, is it more selfish of me 
to go away and get time that I need? Or is it more selfish of me to stay in the atmosphere that I'm in and try to take care of everybody when I'm not of sound mind and body to take care of people? And that's the question you have to ask yourself. I looked at my wife and I told her the other day, I said, look, I need to get, I need to get the fuck out of here. I said it just like that. And, uh, I said, something's going on inside of me. I know I need to get out of here. And then while I was looking at her, I felt horrible for saying that because she doesn't get a break ever. And I know this. So in the same breath, I said, I'm going to take the girls with me to the farm, just me and them. And she looked at me and says, no, 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 don't worry about that. And then, so we went back and forth for a second and I was like, no. And this is, these were the words out of my mouth. I said, I need to be able to do this. I have to be able to take them even when I'm not feeling like I can take them. And I honestly, people, I was scared to fucking death. I was so afraid because now I'm going to be out of my comfort zone. I got two little girls I got to look out for. I'm out there on the farm, the place that makes me happy, the place that brings me all the peace in the world. The only thing in my life that really brings me peace. Okay. I'm taking the most chaotic part of my life to that. And again, they're just kids not regretting that just saying, we'll get to this in a second. I knew what I was setting myself up for. And it's like, I was setting myself up for failure because kids are going to be kids. Right. But I needed to do this. I needed to give her a break. And I'm, I was, I'm just so tired of being such a selfish human being, but this is where I realized it's not up to me anymore. If I'm going to be the best of me, I have to be selfish. There's no way around that. I'm not a normal guy who has just been exposed to a wonderful world. Who's not affected by anything. This is my medicine and I have to take it prescribed by a fucking doctor, right? Like if the doctor prescribed to me, you need one day alone time every week at your farm or you're going to die, then I'd have to do it. So this is what happened. I get my girls out there and we get out there and everything's fine. Um, we, we actually had a very good time. So I'm not saying that we went out there and it was just this disaster. It was this train wreck. But what had to happen was their mother had to have a talk with them before we went. I, I begged her. I said, look, please pull them to the side before we go and let them know. I said, I don't know what you, what you tell them. I said, but they need to understand that when they, when they argue, it hurts daddy inside. Like it really does something to me chemically and physically. It, it, it fucks me up and it is a switch inside of me that gets flipped. Like I cannot explain. And so she had this talk with them and they were actually very, very well behaved. They, the only issue is that we had, we went to the store. We had, I put them in my old blue farm truck. We had uh we had chocolate donuts. We drove down the road with the windows down. Well, fuck two of them were smashed out of the back of the truck from when I, I the fence crashed through it. But that's another story. We drove down the back roads, eating donuts, taking pictures. We had a great time. We went and pet horses and all this. But the issue is this, I still had all of this pent up energy inside of me. I still needed to be able to be alone and decompress. I needed that time to get my mind right. And I didn't have it because they were with me. And when they're with me, I'm on constant high alert. And when they're with me, they're very needy. Daddy, we need this. Daddy, we need that. Daddy, we need this. Daddy, we need that. And I couldn't even cut the grass. I was trying to cut the grass and they kept running up to me. Can we get another popsicle? Can we get another popsicle? And I'm like, God damn, you just had 14 fucking popsicles. Like, but I didn't want to say no because I was already amped up 
And if I said no and they even argued that fact, I was going to flip out. So to appease them, I'm like, please go eat all the fucking popsicles until and there was like three bags of them frozen uh, ice pops in there. I go, go eat the rest of the popsicles. Y'all go have a fucking popsicle party until you pass out. I don't care. Just turn all kinds of colors from all the popsicle juice. Please let me mow this grass. Listen to a little Chris Stapleton and, and decompress. And so I engage my, my, um, my blades again. I make two passes and I turn around and they're standing there. I'm like, what the fuck? So I turn my blades off. I throttle down. I'm like, what now? Daddy, we want lunch. I'm like, you motherfucker. Goddamn kidding me. I thought y'all were eating popsicles for lunch, right? (laughs) So now I get off the mower and I'm going in and this, look, I hear how crazy it sounds. I'm just doing what normal dads would do. Now I go, now I'm going inside to make lunch. So I make lunch. All right. Y'all eat this lunch. Leave me alone. Let me go cut this grass. Y'all find something to do. I go back out. I make three or four more passes. They're standing back out there just staring at me, need me again. And daddy, the little one's like, daddy, I got to, I got to go poop. And I, I don't know how to wipe. And I'm like, you God damn kidding me. So now I got to, I got to throttle down, disengage, get off and go wipe ass. And you see what I'm getting at? It's that it's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's just that I need that time because I'm already wound up tight. I'm already white knuckling it as my buddy in South Bend fire. Chief Baker would say, you know, I was white knuckling the shit out of this thing. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't have the attention to give to myself, let alone to be sitting here giving it to you guys every five seconds. And that's what I'm talking about. And then I start feeling guilty. Then you, then the guilty thoughts start coming in. I'm like, man, I'm a piece of shit father. Like, well, I should be able to jump off of this mower, spring into action, go in there and make your cheese sandwiches, ham and cheese sandwiches, give you popsicles, wipe your asses, play pity pat, take you for donuts, do this, go pet the horses and not, and it not bother me, but it bothers me. And the only time it really bothers me is when I'm white knuckling it, when I'm wound up tight, when I haven't done the appropriate amount of self care for myself. And I know this, I know what's going to happen. And yet I still don't take care of myself because I'm afraid to be selfish. And I've, I mean, I've talked about this in episodes and it sounds like I'm a hypocrite, but it's not normal to be so selfish. You want to do for other people. Like, look, we're first responders. I was a first responder. Our first instinct is to take care of other people versus take care of ourselves. And that's been my way of life my whole life. I'm certainly a selfish human being in certain aspects, but when it comes down to it, I guess I'm not selfish enough. So the next morning we come home after being at the farm, not taking care of myself and yes, which was yesterday. And I had the longest, hardest day that I've had in a long time. And, and, and all it was, was I still had my girls until eight o'clock last night. Cause my wife was at school doing meet the parents and shit like that. But it was a hard day, man, because they were just, they were needy and they needed stuff. And I had work to catch up on. I had work to do. And I just left my place of peace that I didn't get any peace in. And now I'm back here. I'm in constant turmoil. What do you do? I realized yesterday, just from, and I've always said this before, I don't know how single mothers do it or single parents because there is no break. And whatever you may be going through mentally, I, 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 I can't, I can't, I don't, I just don't understand how, how parents do this without the help of the other. 
Today, my wife, my wife took the kids to school with her because she saw how this was fucking me up. It's that obvious, you know, and, and I, like I say, I, I always post the pictures of being a rock star dad and this great dad, but I, I, I don't post the ones of me sitting outside. Have y'all seen that goddamn picture of, um, what's his name? Pablo Escobar, where he's sitting alone on a swing, just pouting. And if you, if you haven't go look at that shit, it looks so lonely and so depressed. That's what I look like this morning, drinking my coffee. I was just sitting out there and I was, I was fucking defeated. And inside I was begging for help inside. I was begging for it, but still as a grown man, it's hard for me to go ask. It's hard for me to pull my wife to the side and be like, look, could you please take these little motherfuckers to school? <laughs> Cause that's where I mean, I was dying, but she saw that. And that's what I'm talking about for that spousal support. And your spouse knows you're battling. Let me tell you something. That woman is a rock star. I don't know how she's done it for so long, but she's done it. And she shoulders that shit and she carries it. And she carried them little kids to school this morning so I could go to the gym, get my time. I had to do a post office run. I had a bunch of signed copies of my books I had to send out. And uh, I, I wanted to get an episode recorded. And she goes, call me when you're done with the episode. I'll bring them back. And I was like, shit, then I'm, I'm going to be talking on this goddamn episode. This is going to be the longest fucking episode y'all have ever heard in your life. I'm going to be recording for three weeks straight on this episode. I got some notes here because I was writing yesterday. I was so stressed out. I mean, I was, I was scribbling. And I just have a note that says self-care and what is it and how do we do it? Because... I don't have the answers. I thought I did, but I take that back. I do have the answers. I know what it is. You got to, you got to escape and you got to be able to find that escape and you got to be able to find that help single parents. If you're single and you're raising them on your own and you have kids that require 100% of your attention, 100% of the time, you got to find somebody to help you lighten that load. I mean, I can't explain the value in that because I know after today, after I get this episode recorded, just that just these couple of hours that I've had, I'm going to be a different dude. I know that. But I haven't had that in 13, 14 fucking days. And it almost made me go insane. So everything I just talked about is in here. And I got I got failure underlined like uh, like 15 times because that's what I feel like. And I, I wonder when my kids, when they grow up, I don't want them to remember me as a dad that wasn't, in the moment, you know, I, I want them to remember me as we had a dad that loved us and did everything he could to ensure that we were safe and that we were happy and we were cared for. And part of that care falls back on me, falls back on my self care, taking care of me because I can't care for them the way that I can if I'm taking care of myself. And I think that applies to everybody. All right. Let's talk about this. <laughs> enough. Enough with the kids, though. I could go on for days. And so a motherfucker played a prank on me recently. And um, this is a good prank. I am not going to lie. And I can't. So here's the deal. I can't tell the nature of the prank. I can't tell you what happened because, as you all know, I got. There's some fucking weirdos out there that listen to me. And you ain't never going to stop a weirdo from being fucking weird. But. I'll, I'll outline this prank and tell you how you got to be careful when you prank people because it can cost you friendships. And that's exactly what happened to me this week. So there was a prank played on me. That was a very good prank, by the way. 
Um, I appreciate it because I'm a ball buster, and I was thinking about it when I when I realized that this happened to me. I, before I got mad, I was like, you know what? I appreciate this because this is exactly some bullshit that I would do to somebody. But it was it was very shitty timing, and I can't really get into what happened because all it's going to do is encourage anybody that's listening to this. And and honestly, I I'm not encouraging that at all. So here's what happened. Buddy of mine who works for, how do you say it, um, one of the top government agencies in the country, all right? This motherfucker played a prank on me. And I thought it was one of my buddies from another government agency, okay? And I called my buddy from the other government agency, or I text him, and I pretty much blamed him for it. And... I went off on him. And this is what I'm talking about. I was not in a good headspace. I I had just been traveling for 10 days. I was pent up. I wasn't decompressed. And I took it out on everybody around me. And this is, this, this is a direct result of that. Had I have been in the correct headspace, I might not have taken this joke so, so far. But I did. and Because I, I was wound up tight. And I was white knuckling it. As Chief Baker said. And I took it out on, on my other friend because I just knew it was him. And I told him how much I didn't fucking appreciate it. And I went off. Well, a couple days went by. And, and he denied that he did it. Okay. And, uh, and it was a really good fucking prank. Maybe one day, maybe one day, like, I'll disclose what happened. It was really fucking good. Um, so several days go by, and just like murder people that murder people, they always want credit for it. Or people that do a crime, they always want credit. They always want to tell somebody. They got to let people know, hey, man, that was my shit, right? Several days go by. Well, I get a fucking text message from my other buddy at one government agency, and it's a picture of himself. He took a selfie of him doing this prank. And I said, God damn. You motherfucker. I was I was making my kids a peanut butter and jelly sandwich yesterday and I dropped I said, Y'all gotta finish this bullshit. So I called him and I said, Dude, I said, I'm not even mad at you. And he's laughing. I said, Listen, but you cost me a friendship. And I go, I got to call this other guy right now and make this right. And he goes, What do you mean? And I told him what happened. And he was he was apologizing. He said, Dude, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to take it that far. And I didn't I didn't even think that it could be taken that way. And I said, no, this is my fault. This is my bad. And I knew because I wasn't, I wasn't right. And I said, but just let me call you back. So I called my other buddy. He didn't answer. I, Go figure. And so I started texting him. I said, look, man, I said, I owe you a big apology. Please call me when you can. He didn't call back. I called back today. I got him on the phone, explained what happened. He laughed about it. Thank God he's, he's a bigger man than I am. And uh, he's like, dude, no harm, no foul. I get it. And uh, your apology is accepted. And I was like, thank you so much. And then we hung up the phone. So all I'm saying, dude, is when you go to prank somebody, be careful of the ramifications. <laughs> that literally almost cost me a friendship. A really good one, too. Um, look, I want to talk about my tour that we just did. You want to talk about fun? Let me tell you something. We had a lot of fun. So the first night uh, was on July 30th. I had to go to 
Well, I had to pick my friend Randy up from the airport on Wednesday, the 28th. And I didn't, and I was supposed to, I was scheduled to be in Charlotte, North Carolina on the 30th. So I picked Randy up and we went straight to my farm. We got into the farm around 12, 30, 1.30 in the morning, actually. And we stayed up for a few minutes and then we went to bed. We woke up the next morning. Let me tell you, Randy is not a dude that needs to be on a farm. He's just not that dude. He's a city guy. He loves the city. And I could tell within 30 minutes of the sun being up that this motherfucker was bored out of his mind. And I'm sitting there and we had two days to kill. And I was going to kill him at my farm. I was going to drive the tractor. I was going to mow grass. I was going to do all kinds of shit. But I was looking at him and I realized, like, like this motherfucker is going to be bored to death. And that's fine with me. Like, I'm good at good with going out there being bored with nobody around. But he's not like that. So I got the bright idea. I was like, all right. Why don't we just head out of town today? I'll go get a hotel in Charlotte a day early or tomorrow morning, which would have been the 28th. And so that's what we did. We left We left the farm early. See, there's another error on my part. I should have stayed out there and soaked up every bit of my shit that I could. But again, I brought somebody to my place of peace and I wasn't able to get what I needed out of it. See, this is a learning lesson for me. Don't I'm not bringing you out there if that's not your shit. If you don't want to go out there and just sit and look at birds if you don't want to just go out and sit and dream of cows and horses walking across the lawn if you don't want to be hot and uncomfortable that ain't the place for you you know if you're looking for that air conditioning and a view of the city stay your ass right there don't even ask to come to a farm (laughs) so i was gonna take this motherfucker on a polaris ride and show him stuff he had never seen in his life but then I was going to go to cornfields, sunflower fields, go down there and look at um, cattle, horses, donkeys, all kinds of stuff. And I was like, no, I'm not even doing that because I don't want to be bored. So we packed up, loaded the van in about 30 seconds because we're decisive human beings, right? And then we don't sit there and, well, what about this? And let's plan for fuck it, load the van, let's go. And that's what we did. So we loaded up, went and got a hotel in Charlotte, went a day early, and we sat in a fucking hotel room, all right? And this is what I'm getting at. We sat in a hotel room. You know how big a hotel room is. Now, I got a ton of acreage where I'm at on my farm. And then I'm surrounded by like 10,000 acres, too, on top of that. So it's like it's all mine anyway. And I left that to go sit in a fucking hotel room. And the second that I checked into that hotel, it started. I was like, motherfucker, the walls are closing in. And then you go down to the lobby and all these people are wearing masks and shit. And they're looking at you like you're crazy. And I was like, oh, you motherfuckers. And then one thing after another. And then the anxiety starts and it just doesn't stop. And so we spent that night doing absolutely nothing. He's in one bed. I'm in the other sitting in our underwear. Two grown ass men in our 40s just sitting there half naked watching watching the news. So Randy puts on his breathing mask because he's fat and he's out of shape and he's fucking can't breathe and he's fucking almost dying every time he takes a breath when he's when he's sleeping. So in order to stay alive so he can have one more uh, buffet at the Golden Corral, he wears a sleep apnea mask. And he looks like Darth Vader, but I call him Darth Hater because he hates all my shit. And that's, that's our shit. I'm not being an asshole. I say this stuff to his face. He's listening to it right now. I guarantee it. And he's laughing because it's true. So fuck y'all if you're judging. Listen. If you're going to be my friend, you got to have thick ass skin. Anyway, so we end up falling asleep and I wake up the next morning and I'm looking at this motherfucker laying there looking at me in his mask with all of his glorious titties hanging out. 
And I was like, man, fuck my life. I could have woke up this morning, watched the sun come across my fucking field with my cup of coffee sitting on my front porch, watching the horses and the cattle, listening to the animals. And instead, this is this is what I chose to do with my night that I'll never get back the morning that I will never get back. That's why I love sunrises. Sunrises and, and sunsets are so special to me because you only get so many and nobody knows how many you get. So I try to get them every time I can. And now I'm in these concrete walls. <laughs> we go down and get continental breakfast. And we must be the most boring motherfuckers on the planet because I said, all right, what do you want to do now? He's like, I don't know. So we went on a hike. We went to this place called Lotta Plantation up in Concord, North Carolina. And it was hot. And we went on a um, we went on a hike, dude. We, we did like four miles. And I was proud of Randy because he was actually he was doing pretty good. And I was a 330-something pound man. And we went there and we then we sat by the lake, you know, and this I know what this sounds like. I know this is sounding like a sequel to Brokeback Mountain. I, I get it. So as I'm saying this shit, I'm I'm like trying to understand it from you, the listener's point of view. That like you're like, wait, y'all are in the same hotel. Y'all are both in your drawers. He's wearing a mask. Y'all are doing a hike. And now what do y'all do after you hike? You go back to the room. You both got a shot. Like I get it. I know where your minds are. Stop it. Listen. We're friends, all right? And then we get ready for the show that night. And I can't tell you if Charlotte Fire Department has got it going on, dude. Charlotte, I've been into a lot of union halls. This is probably one of the nicest union halls I've ever been into. Charlotte 660's union. They're local 660. This thing's like a castle. And I walked in there and I was immediately pissed off that I didn't hire a camera crew to come and film this event. Because I, I hired uh, camera crews for all the other events, but I did not hire one for Charlotte. I don't know why I didn't. I wish I would have. Well, it was a sold-out show. It couldn't have went any better. Standing ovation. You couldn't have asked for a better event. Afterwards, we got to hug and kiss all the firefighters and, and, and just shake hands. And that's what we call it. We call it hugging and kissing. It's not really, but it's you know what it is. It's so. Then after that, show's over. What do we do? Me and Randy, we go to the Waffle House, and that's how we celebrate, right? Because we're. It's hard to stay in shape on the road, and that's why. You know, 12 o'clock at night, there's not much to eat. So we go sit at the Waffle House, and we share stories, and then we go to bed. And then the next morning, we get up, and we're on the road. Long story short, we had to drive to South Bend, Indiana. So we actually stopped halfway. That was an 11-hour trip. No, 12. It was like 12 hours. So we split the trip up, and uh, we did the second leg the next morning. Um, So when we get to South Bend, (laughs) dude... Let me tell you about South Bend, Indiana. If you've never been. So the only thing I knew about South Bend was Notre Dame. I knew the fight in Irish. And it's such a prestigious school. You think that, man, South Bend is going to be this fucking nice town with picket fences. And just humble, like Pleasantville, USA. Motherfucker, South Bend was dangerous, boy. Let me tell you something. This was my kind of town. We rolled up into this fucking shithole, and I was like, this is a firefighter, a police officer's dream. Holy shit. South Bend had it going on, and I couldn't have been more pleasantly surprised because I don't like nice towns. I like I like a fucked up town because I'm a fireman, and I'm a cop, and goddammit, if you're going to do those professions, do it where you're going to get to do your job and where you're going to put in work 
Don't do it in fucking Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, where I live, because there ain't shit going on over here. Y'all think I'm bullshitting. Ask Randy. Listen, we pull up. We check into our hotel. My buddy Eric, <laughs> I'm standing outside. And you want to talk about flashbacks? Listen, you think flashbacks aren't real? This motherfucker had a funny idea. I texted him and said, hey, we're checked into the hotel. He said, okay, cool. Well, I'm in the parking garage, and ladder one goes by, South Bend ladder one goes by laying on the air horn, doing three long-ass blasts. And I know he's shitting himself laughing in the truck. Well, I'm sitting there and immediately flash me back to our our fire that killed our nine guys because three air horn blasts in the fire service is meant for evacuation. And just like that, you can have a quick flashback. And people don't think about that. So anyway, we go down to the firehouse. I go down there and I meet I meet up with my buddy Eric and all these other guys. And uh, they take us up in the ladder truck, ladder one, because I was a ladder company guy. I was always on a uh, tower ladder. And so we went up. They, they have a 100-foot um, ladder truck, uh, tower ladder with a big bucket on it. And Randy's never been in one. Dude, we go up 50 feet in. Randy is shaking like a schoolgirl, he's like no fuck this i'm good take us down now randy used to jump out of planes helicopters do all this stuff but now he's older he appreciates life more he likes his air condition he likes safety of the ground nothing dangerous you know so they're laughing they get us back down we hang out we shoot shit with them well while we were in the um bucket uh the rescue company had to go to a shooting and randy was pissed because randy wanted to go on an emergency call, especially like a shooting or something like that. And uh, the guy looks at it and goes, nah, it's South Bend. Don't worry. There'll be another one. You have plenty of time to go. <clears throat> and I started laughing because I remember rolling in. I go, yeah, this, if we gonna, they're, they're definitely going to be another shooting in this raggy motherfucker. I promise you that. So we come down and literally we're there five more minutes and another call goes out for a fucking uh, a shooting suspect. I mean, a victim shot in the head. We're like, I look at Randy, and Randy's like, looks at the chief on duty. He's like, Chief, can we go? <laughs> He's like, Yeah, let's go. So we hop into Chase car and the Chief's car, and we roll, we haul ass, and we get to the shooting scene. Sure enough, and the whole whole time I'm I'm riding with him, I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to see this shit because I've been there, and that's a past part of my life, and I'm not trying to see any more traumatic scenes. I don't. So I'll be honest, the whole time we were going there, I was like, I hope that the the suspect. I hope they're already transported. I don't want to see it. I just, I, I've seen too many, too many, too many of these things. And that's exactly what happened. Thank goodness. So we get there. The suspect was transported. She actually survived. She had a, she had a hair weave in. Check this out. Got hit three times in the head and the bullet, the three bullets were stopped and they had a picture of where it hit her. She had that hair, a hair weave in. They had a picture of the bullet wrapped in hair weave. It was the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I should have gotten that picture. It was fucking insane. I'd never seen anything like that. So she survived from her hair weave. And I, if honestly, that girl needs to go back to wherever she got her hair weave and be like, look, give me 10 more of these motherfuckers because these are literally lifesavers. What happened was her and her, the guy she was with, I don't know if it was her boyfriend or husband or whatever, but they were sitting at a, at a light and somebody rolled up on them and, and, tried to smoke them 22 rounds in that car and we got pictures i put the pictures of the car in my story car was shot to shit the guy driving wasn't even hit all the all the bullets went around him and uh i think i think what happened was she caught deflected rounds and so it slowed the impact down but still the hair weave definitely helped her moral of the story is 
we were in fucking South Bend, and that was the third shooting in like within like three hours, a three-hour time span. So, um, if you want to do your job as a firefighter or a cop, and you work in, you live in Indiana, that's a good place to go. Buildings were burnt out. I mean, it was it was beautiful. I mean, it's it's like the east side of when I went to the east side of Detroit one time, I was like, man, this is like the mecca for firefighters. This is amazing. Um, and firefighters will get that. They, you know, when you're in a town that gets fire, we we tip our hats to them. Like, hey, man, we need to give y'all credit where credits due because I, they definitely had it going on. Um, and so then we went to lunch, and that's when I learned about a place called Little Denmark. All right, so if you've never been to South Bend, if you want to go to a store that is exclusive for men, there's a store called the Little Denmark. Now, I the Little Denmark does not sponsor this show. This is me from a personal experience. Um, this is where dudes can go and buy an, an assortment of um, of dildos, if you wish. And that's dudes only club, if you know what I'm getting at. So, me being a comedian. I take note of all of this shit. So we go to get tacos right next door to the little Denmark. All right. <laughs> you got to think that I got a speech the next day. I got to, I got to talk to a lot of the uh, guys from South Bend, Indiana fire and their spouses. Right. <laughs> so the next night comes and I'm taking notice of all this shit. And the next night comes, we're at, we're in South Bend at the firefighters union hall. And everybody shows up with their wives. There's people with their parents. And this is how cool the mental health world is getting now. Not only are we starting to talk about it, we're bringing our loved ones out so they can learn about it from our point of view, right? So now, hey, look, we got an emergency service responder here, a first responder who is going to talk about this. And their fucking families were showing up because they're that desperate to learn about this stuff. How powerful is that? I always, always, always welcome spouses to come out. And they usually do. But not like South Bend turned out. South Bend turned the fuck out. I, there were so many spouses in that audience. It was the most amazing, beautiful event that we could have had. So they come out, and I actually start out my speech with, look, I told them what I thought the town was going to be and how I was surprised. And then I told them, so my buddy Eric, I'd never met him before. He was just a contact that I'd been put in contact with. He set this event up. And then I went on to say, like, I was I was pleasantly surprised to meet Eric. And I'm, I'm not going to drop his whole name. But I told them I met him because uh, one of the chiefs stopped by Little Denmark and asked me to go in there and go shopping. So I went in shopping, and then I saw, I saw this guy with a South Bend fire shirt on, and it happened to be Eric. And, dude, that whole place erupted. They were laughing. And Eric's all turning red and shit. And I was like, and he had a private bag. He was walking out. And I was like, and he had this bag with, it, it was like the shape of a dick. But, you know, it is what it is. And then motherfuckers were on his ass. It was it was just hilarious. Because that's the kind of humor we have in emergency services. Nobody's safe. When I'm around, I'm taking note. So you're definitely not safe. I had the pleasure that night. This is why I love what I do. This is exactly why I love what I do. So that night, I look, I get a lot of messages from people, a, a shit ton of messages, and I'm not complaining, but what I'm getting at is sometimes it's hard for me to remember every single one, but I try to because I try to respond to every single message. Again, the icons for our faces on, on Messenger are so small that I can't really put a face with a screen name sometimes. It's just really hard. So... 
I got a message from a, a police officer who was a female and a while back, and and she was kind of telling me some circumstances, and you know, talking about her and her husband, and and how they listen to this podcast and they support it, and I was super thankful. And she mentioned that they were coming out that night. Well, to be, I'll be completely honest, I just completely it slipped my mind that they were going to be there. So when she came up to introduce herself, at first I was like, hey, you know, nice to meet you, and. Then she said her name. She said, we're the so-and-sos. And I'll go, oh, shit. And then I put two and two together. And honestly, I wanted to cry. I was like, it meant so much to me that that they showed up. And I felt so bad that I initially forgot. But then when she reminded me who she was and introduced me to her husband, it had that kind of an impact on me. And as I go up and I'm talking... I'm watching them from the stage and I'm watching her during certain times of when I was speaking, I'm watching her squeeze his arm because I can, I can see the audience fine. And there's like two, two or three rows back. It didn't say anything. And I can just tell that it's re- I can tell that certain things are really, really resonating. And after these events, I get really busy, right? Because I have my merchandise table with my shirts and my, and my um, books and I'm trying to shake everybody's hand and we're doing the merchandise thing. Well, some people, obviously, they got a life, so they can't stand around forever, so they they end up leaving. It's not that they didn't have a good time, but they have lives to get back to, and I get that. And I desperately wanted to talk to them. And somehow they got lost in the crowd when I was speaking to everybody afterwards. And as we're packing up, me and Randy were walking out to the van. I see this truck pulling off, and the window was down, and I I noticed it was them. And I said, hey, hey, hey. And uh, I said, pull over here. And she goes, well, we don't want to keep you. And I go, fuck no, you're not keeping me. Pull over here. And, man, we had the best conversation. They got out, and I stood there, and we must have talked for an hour, an hour and a half. And when I was talking to them, her husband, I felt like I was talking to myself. And this is why I love what I do. We were talking about the police world, and we were talking about just how things are versus what they used to be and how we as men coming from – the, I guess the backgrounds that we come from, how we have a hard time communicating. And I could see their marriage through my marriage, right? I could see my marriage and their marriage. They didn't even have to tell me about certain things. I just knew, and they knew that I knew and it was fine. It was okay. And I looked at her husband and I told him, I said, man, I said, you know, the problem with dudes like us, I said, I can be, I can be a bitch when it comes to my kids. I can get down on my knees I can talk to them like a little like a little kid if I need to. I can give them every ounce of who I am. I can give them every ounce of uh, compassion. I can give them every ounce of give a fuck that I got in my body. And I said, and I can let them know that I'm here for them. And I said, but when it comes to my woman, I can't do any of that. And he looked at me and started nodding. And she said, exactly. And I go, I don't know why that is. I don't know why. We as men have to put up such a front that we're so tough and we're so hard because we know we're not. We, we're perfectly capable. We just choose to be that way. I'm definitely a very hard man, but I choose to not let my walls down with my woman because I can't show you that vulnerability. I can walk into a room and fucking do it all the time. I can walk into a room of a thousand people, strangers, and tell you my most intimate, vulnerable things about me. 
And I can't do that with my woman. And I don't know why that is. And when I looked at him and he got it and there lies the problem, gentlemen. I mean, how do we, how do we take the armor off and just set it down and just be like, look, here it is. I don't know the answer to that. I, I really don't. And when I said that, I've never, I've never, I've never said that before. I've never talked like that before. That's how comfortable I was with this man. And when we were talking and that's how comfortable I was with his wife, when we were talking, I heard myself say that. And I said, damn, I just, I just learned something about me. When I started this episode, I honestly had no idea the direction it would go or the message that would be there. But I think we're figuring out the message and I'm kind of excited about that. I want to keep going, though. It's going to be a little long one, so buckle up. I, I I got so many things to say. Like So in South Bend, these dudes were so cool, man. They were so great to us, man. So I was actually a little disappointed because when I walked into their fire stations, they had my poster up of my face everywhere, even in the shitters. Like They had them on the back of the doors. And I told Chief, I was like, I'm kind of a little upset that none of my pictures – have dicks drawn on them like what's going on in the fire service how do you guys not have dicks drawn all over my face all over the station and then one of the captains before anybody could say anything started laughing this old school captain he just laughed he goes man he goes this is our uh these are our second round of photos we had to post so <laughs> letting me know like you were coming in town so we had to take those down it's pretty cool that was my man captain wazoo give him i want to give him some props man guy's been on the job 45 years and we sat around the coffee table talking with these guys and Captain Wazoo was telling these stories and how nobody has named this guy up the Wazoo is beyond me. But he had incredible stories, man. And, and, and dudes like this in the fire service, are, they're few and far between anymore. And the, it's amazing to be in such company. I mean, it's, it's such an honor to be in such company. Look, I had 10 and a half years in the job, right? This guy's got 45. How do you... The things you see, right? He is the job. Like he is, that is what makes this job what it is, man. I mean, you, and you couldn't ask for a better dude. And so I had a great time sitting around the table with these guys and then uh, Chief Baker and them, they they hooked us up with a tour of Notre Dame Stadium. We got to go all over the stadium, up in the boxes, down on the 50-yard line. Uh, we couldn't do the locker room because that was off limits, but it was such an honor to be there, and I can't thank those guys enough for having me in. And, uh, you know, I always say we're family for life, even if we've never met. The second a fireman meets another fireman, I mean, it's that's just how it is. And you, you, we always open everything we have available to them. We make, we make it accessible to them, and we just – I can't explain what that's like, being able to walk into another city and be welcomed with open arms with a bunch of people you've never met but you don't need to because you're all brothers. And it's just, it's a beautiful thing. Same thing happened the following night when I had to go to Frankfurt, Indiana and do a speech down there at their theater um, for the Frankfurt area of first responders. We got into town a little late because we were, we were, uh, we were just pressed for travel. Um, but well, I shouldn't say late, late for me. Cause normally I'm fucking 10 hours early. So this time I was only like eight hours early. Um, so let's back up cause late and Travis just don't go together. Um, but we sat down with those guys before the show and had a, a wonderful spaghetti dinner. They they treated my friend Randy like they looked at him like, oh, fuck, who's this guy? He's going to eat the, and the whole place. And I go, y'all better get your plates before that motherfucker does. 
and we had dinner and you know, they fed us and, um, you, you're not allowed to do your own dishes there. And it's like, man, thanks. And then, so we went and we had an event and it was a great event and I couldn't be more thankful. Um, unfortunately my time in Frankfurt was very short lived because as soon as the event was over, we had to get in the car and we had to roll and we had to get down to Indianapolis. And that's where the fatigue started to set in for me. And that's where the burnout started to set in. Uh, cause it's, you know, another hotel we were driving, you know, another hour. And by this time we had already put in, you know, several thousand miles. And then we get there, we check in, we got to unpack. I got all my merchandise. We got to, you got to, you know, lug in and all this. And, um, it's, it's just a lot. So, even that first night when I got there, my team, uh, so firefighter cancer support network, which is a, an organization that is in place for helping firefighters with cancer, helping their family members. And I've done this event with them several times now, and I've been aligned with them for many years and they are an amazing group of people. But when I checked in, they were downstairs, uh, all getting together and everything. And I was exhausted. I was smoked, man. I just wanted to lay face down in my bed but I couldn't, you know, you gotta, you gotta politic, you gotta network. And it was so good to see them. And I'm sitting there at the table, hugging and kissing and seeing everybody. And, but I'm inside, I'm just like, fuck, I'm starting to slouch at the table. I'm just, it's catching up to me. Right. So we go upstairs finally later that night and I finally get a little bit of rest. And, uh, well, I'll take that back. I didn't get any fucking rest because my buddy Ben Jones, my other comedian, was checking in and I was letting him stay in a room with me and my buddy Randy. Now you have three grown-ass men staying in a room. The hotel was sold out and I needed Ben close by for our event. I didn't need Ben staying 10 minutes outside of town because I'm one of those dudes. I'm like, look, we got something to do. I don't want anything to come in between that. I don't want you to be at a hotel and your fucking car break down or whatever. You, you need to be here. So, But Ben didn't get into town until like four o'clock in the morning. So the door comes open at four in the morning. He makes a bunch of noise coming in and welcome, you know, still no sleep. So get up the next morning and we start going to, uh, the, to the convention center politic and seeing everybody, uh, that, that, you know, every, you only get to see every couple of years or so. And it's, and it's, and it really is nice. It's, it's great to see everybody. Long story short, we, we end up having our, uh, our comedy event. It was a sold out event. Uh, 350 people. It couldn't have went any better. It went off without a hitch. Everybody did great. Ben did great. Um, I did fucking phenomenal. I'm kidding. <laughs> I had a lot of fun and, uh, what a blast. And we got, we got footage of all of these events and I'm trying to, um, what I'm trying to do is obtain a bunch of footage from, uh, these events and future events coming up so I can make a commercial for, uh, post-traumatic purpose and the courses that I teach on leadership, mental wellness, and resiliency. And I want to wrap it into one two minute commercial so you can get a visual with what, what it is I'm actually out here doing. Um, but I couldn't be more thankful. And I was, Randy did bail on me, that motherfucker. I, you know, he, he flew home from Indianapolis. He was going to make the whole drive, but he ended up choosing to get on a get on a plane and fly back to Miami where my ass had to drive 11 hours and I still beat him home. And that's what I'm getting at. A lot of people are like, you don't like to fly. Let me tell you something, man. If you don't, if you've never spent your life in an airport and on planes, it's not what it seems. You spend a whole fucking day traveling, sitting in airports, catching, um, connecting flights and this and that. And half the time you can drive it a lot quicker than you can, unless you're going coast to coast. But 
I had an 11, 12-hour drive, and I beat him home that day. So, nanny, nanny, boo-boo, you know what the rest is. All right, let me tell you all about these upcoming events that we got going on here. Um, so I'm going to run down the list real quick to kind of give you some kind of idea of what I got going on. And if you're going to be in these areas where you can um, check with me to see if we can get you out to one of these classes that I teach. Um, this month, uh, I'm going to hold off on dates, but these are just quick, real quick, run down the, up, the dates, that I, not the dates, but the cities I'm going to. Um, I'll be in Cameron, South Carolina, teaching their fire department post-traumatic purpose. I'm teaching post-traumatic purpose in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. Then I'll be at the Tennessee Firefighter Conference. Then I'm going to be in Baltimore at the fire, teaching their fire and police officers. I'll be doing a Jacksonville, Florida first responder conference. Um, in January, I'm at a, winter, it's a place called Winterfest, an event called Winterfest in Coralville, Iowa. Then I'm in Missouri doing crisis intervention conference in uh, Columbia, Missouri. And then Apopka, Florida Fire Department as of now. And we had literally have 20, I believe 20 or 25 other uh, cities on board right now. Uh, it's just a matter of scheduling that we're trying to look at. So yeah, this stuff is going crazy and I couldn't be more thankful to be doing what I'm doing. Um, thank you guys for supporting what I do. And Hey, I hope you enjoy, enjoyed this long ass episode and I hope you found it uh, resourceful and informative. Um, again, just just thank you to the moon and back for, for all the support. I love y'all.